Blog Talk Radio. harmony. The earth supports our conscious effort for sustained humanity. Human being, human love on a spiritual tip. So vast, so great. The African Embrace Live beyond Love beyond Your skin To where you belong Oh, 
Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haiki Kamafi Mishoki, currently with African Awareness. And, of course, my thing is institution building. But I got to say something, Brother, I think is very, very important that we disclose. And that's a question around the level of deception and dishonesty implicit in U.S. foreign policy. Uh, one of the things that we're going to understand the fundamental injustice that in, that's inflicted upon humanity. We have to understand the role of American foreign policy in terms of forming all kinds of uh, wrongs throughout the world. Now, having said that, Brother Africa, I want you to check this out. Now, the roots of American foreign policy is rooted in colonial aspirations and racism. Notions of Western domination have long been embedded in popular thought that justified the abhorrent treatment, economic and otherwise, of non-Western people. Henry Cabot Lodge saw the Western world as a redeeming force of the world anchored by an imperial white race. Senator Albert Beveridge more boldly proclaimed, quote, it is racial. God has not been preparing the English-speaking and Teutonic or Scandinavian peoples for a thousand years for nothing. He has marked white America people as his chosen nation to finally lead in that regeneration of the world. Master organizers of the world to establish, to establish systems where chaos reigns, end quote. From these philosophical precepts, rose critical ideologies embrace the fundamental supposition of the inherent rights of Western leaders, not Western citizens, of their pursuit of self-interest. U.S. foreign policies will no longer be beholden to international law. Instead, according to Richard Folk, international lawyer, U.S. foreign policy would employ manipulation to interpret international law and in the process abnegate or deny U.S. foreign policy that often transcends what is legally permissible. The historical reality is circumventing illegality could only be achieved by erecting political structures that validated both the exploitation and subjugation of humanity, while carte blanche employing application of force sufficient for Western states to achieve their objectives. In the case of U.S. foreign policy prowess or shaping of foreign policy, this increased after the agreement at Bretton Hills and Bretton Woods in 1944 by designating the dollar as a global reserve currency. The follow-up to this plan saw the creation of both the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. Now, the function of these banks were not to facilitate economic cooperation among the global community, as globalization implies, but to serve as a source of liquidity for the global economic system and benefit to the Western world. This was, the benefits to the Western world would be achieved in two ways. One, it would impoverish the global south by devaluating its currencies. Global trade could only be conducted with Western credits the global south currencies were considered too weak, too lacking in value, despite the fact that global south provides the raw resources. In addition, by designating global south currencies insufficient, if the global south does not have sufficient foreign reserve currencies in its accounts, their currencies are devalued further, resulting in austerity compelling global south countries to borrow more from the West. Secondly, as a condition for these loans, IMF stipulates Global South sell off parts of its infrastructure to wealthy investors and in corporations, and in the process increase their debt, their debt <coughs> burden in terms of higher taxes and higher prices to the struggling people of those nations. Poverty will be exacerbated in the Global South while the West enjoys huge profits in which they reinvest in the IMF, International Monetary Fund, to keep the scam going. Now, the gulf between U.S. humanitarian goals and geopolitical interests are huge. Often, the U.S. taunts its human rights accomplishments, but such a record often conceals 
the nefarious motives of U.S. foreign policy. One of the more deceptive strategies used by the U.S. to conceal its criminal motivation is the labeling of countries as state sponsor of terrorism. Currently, four states are designated as state sponsors of terrorism, North Korea, Iran, Syria, and Cuba. Ironically, under Executive Order 13224, signed September 23, 2001, state sponsored terrorism is broadly defined as one, threats to national security of the U.S., threats to foreign policies, in particular imperialism, or, or threats to neoliberalism, and thirdly, threats to the U.S. economy. The most glaring inconsistency is none of these states have threatened or constitute a threat to the U.S. Threats that have materialized have always been initiated by the U.S. in terms of blockades, sanctions, <clears throat> and military actions, covert and otherwise. Since these states have not expressed an interest in destroying the U.S., why are they called state sponsors of terrorism? Simple. These countries represent an existential threat to the U.S. hegemony and domination of the world, economically and politically. By these nations standing up and proclaiming a global order predicated on mutual respect, economically and commercially, they provoke the ire of the U.S. establishment that benefits from a rules-based order that justifies both exploitation and theft of the global South resources. Killing, advocating for one's population self-determination autonomy as human rights undercuts U.S. foreign policy objectives specifically designed to coerce and undermine other states other states utilizing military and or use of covert action. It is no surprise the U.S. Congress has contemplated assigning Russia the tag as state sponsor of terrorism. Assigning such a labor is designated to undercut the targeted nation's economy to force these nations to concede to U.S. interests. Unfortunately for the U.S., such strategies are ineffective uh, for large economies like Russia. In fact, the Council of Foreign Relations says sanctions are mildly effective only 40% of the time. This revelation is no exaggeration. Bloomberg News reported or disclosed that this, that this month alone, most of the G20 nations refused to partake in sanctions against Russia. Surprisingly, G20 opposition to Russia's sanctions abounds for a myriad of reasons, but primarily among the reasons are the strong trade with Russia, historic affinities to Moscow, in other words, they're seen as anti-imperialist, and the distrust of former or current colonial powers. Other obstacles to the ineffectiveness of Russian sanctions involve division of labor, considerations that extol Russia as the top producer of wheat, corn, nickel, liquid natu liquefied natural gas, steel, re refined aluminum, fertilizers, and platinum, to name a few commodities. Oil and gas sales alone brought in $119 billion a year ago when the price of a barrel of oil was $69 per barrel. Currently, a barrel of oil is $100 per barrel, in part courtesy of U.S. sanctions. Now, the financial state of Russia economy has been mildly impacted, for sure. Russia, but Russia's central bank has, has at least 640 billion reserves currencies. It has 132 billion in gold, which can be converted to cash to prop up the value of the ruble. While Russia has foreign exchange transactions of $46 billion, 80% in terms of dollars, Russia counted a few, a few days, a few, a few months, a few weeks ago, with a decree prohibiting state supporters of sanctions, U.S. included, from trading or selling shares in Russian enterprises deemed strategic to Russia. This strategy will increase U.S. corporate debt that, that's in need of, barely in need of capital. Such as the need of capital by U.S. corporations, a 32 trillion debt weighs large. Major corporations have increasingly engaged in stock buybacks, buybacks 
to fortunately elevate the value of their stocks since the sanctions have been implemented. U.S. sanctions have contributed to liquidity problems for the global economy, resulting in credit squeeze that has negatively impacted both creditors and banks. Oil and gas interests have been hit particularly hard. Companies like BP, Shell, Exxon Holdings have been greatly impacted as value of the trade has declined, has, has declined precipitously. Now, currently, the U.S. corporate, corporate debt stands to increase beyond $32 trillion. This debt is compounded by the fact Russia owes $100 billion to U.S. and European banks. Russia has been careful not to default on loans, which dealt a huge blow to U.S. leaders who anticipated Russia default, thereby justifying legal cases being brought against Russia for contractual failures in the U.S. courts. Russia's insistence for debt to Russia be paid in rubles, followed by insisting U.S. debt be paid in rubles, entailed strategic resonance. By exposing U.S. real motivation of fomenting economic instability in Russia, the question of repayment <clears throat> was revealed not to be a legitimate concern. U.S. representatives wanted to, wanted to use repayment and rubles to make the case Russia indeed defaulted on its loans <clears throat> because international commerce shuns repayment in rubles. Once U.S. motives were revealed, Russia stated debt paid in rubles could easily be converted into dollars. So in lieu of these shenanigans, I ask you, who is the real state sponsor of terrorism? Hint, it is not Russia. And I'll close with that, Brother Africa. You raised a million-dollar question, so we hope we can get the million-dollar answer. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we'd like to welcome Brother Anthony. We'd like to welcome him to Africa Remove. Welcome, Brother Anthony. Uh, thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, uh, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And from Brother Anthony, we now will go to Brother Moses, and we would like to welcome him to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Moses. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao tongue is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. We don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I, I believe women hold up half the sky. Therefore, I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment, E-R-A-E-S. And the struggle continues to be that how do you unite the many to defeat the few. If we had a, a revolution tomorrow, if, if everybody gets uprose and, and revolted and there was an uprising tomorrow, how would we govern? Who, who would be the leadership? These are, we need an organized party, a permanent party that's organized and, and, is, and is capable of leading. And so this, this is the struggle uh, um, to, to, to come to consciousness. Uh, about us as a class and the work, and the work organized as a class. 
And so I thank you for allowing me to be on the show, Brother Africa. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And we now go to Sister Eleanor. We'd like to welcome her to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Sister Eleanor. Thank you, Brother Africa, and good evening to the fellow panelists and to our listeners here in the United States and abroad. Uh, There have been many wonderful things happening in the world, and uh, the people are organizing and moving forward. Thank you for allowing me to participate in this evening's forum. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. At this point in time, you listen to Brother Africa, Africa on the Moon. Like always, we're going to start off with what's going on in your world community. We'll do that when we come back from our rubbish and culture break, and we'd like for you to weigh in and share with us what's going on in your world community by calling 323-679-0841, 323-679-0841. We will have that discussion when we return. This is Africa on the Move. Go, go, go. We gon' party like it's your birthday. We gon' sip a party like it's your birthday. And you know we don't give a fuck it's like your birthday. You can find me in the club. Bottle full of bub. Mama, I got what you need. If you need to fill a bar, I'm in the habit I ain't in the making love. So come give me a hug. If you're in the getting rough, you can find me in the club. Bottle full of bub. Mama, I got what you need. If you need to fill a bar, I'm in the habit I ain't in the making love. So come give me a hug. When I pull up out front, you see the Benz on do. When I roll 20 deep, it's always drama in the club. Now that I roll with Dre, everybody show me love. When you feel like Eminem, you get plenty of groupie love. But homie, ain't nothing changed. Roll down, tease up. I see exhibit in the cutting, man. Roll them up. If you watch how I move, you mistake before I play up here. Been hit with a few, but now I walk with a limp. In the hood, in the day, they say it's 50, you hot. They like me, I want them to love me like they love pop. But I live in New York. Tell you I'm local We yeah. plan is to put the rap game in the choke So I'm full of focus, man My money on my mind Got a meal out the deal And I'm feeling the grind I showed you that you're feeling my fast You're feeling my flow uh-huh. A girl from what is it, guy And they ready to you go on me Bottle full of bug Mama, I got what you need You need to feel the bug I'm in the habit I ain't in the making love So come give me a hug You're in the getting rough You can find me in the club Mama, I got what you need. You need to fill the bar. I'm in the habit of fixing the making love. So come give me a hug. Get in the getting rough. My flow, my show brought me the dough. That brought me all my fancy things. My crib, my car, my clothes, my shoes. Look on me. I done came up and I ain't changing. You should love it. Way more than you hate it. Oh, you mad? I thought that you'd be happy I made it. I'm the cat by the bar, toasting to the good life. Moved out the hood. Now you tryna pull me back, guys. Club is on, I'm with my eyes and shit, so she's mad, she's gone. Hit the roof on fire, man. Just let it burn up, just talking about money, homie, I ain't concerned. I'ma tell you what bank for me, cause go ahead, switch the style up. And if they hate, then let them hate, them, watch the money pile up. Or we can go upside the head with a bottle of bug. Come on, they know where we be. You can find me in the club, bottle full of bug. Mama, I got what you need, you need to fill the bar. I'm in the habit, I ain't in the making love, so come give me a hug. Getting rough, you can find me in the club. Bottle full of bug, mama, I got what you need. If you need to fill a bar, I'm in the habit of fixing and making love. So come 
Police in unmarked police vehicle in plain civilian clothes responded to a 911 call alleging a man with a gun. Descriptions of the man with the alleged gun was not provided by the police reports. Police Chief Darren Goodman, according to investigators for the deceased African male, released an edited version of the event, <clears throat> not in its entirety. By releasing the full content of the video, the question of Adams possessing a gun would have been corroborated or disproved. Chief Goldman alleged the officers gave verbal commands, but Adams immediately fled. Ironically, if Adams immediately fled, it suggests some kind of threat. Could it be Adams perceived these men in plain clothes as a potential threat, or did the police create a provocation through their actions, <clears throat> the potential for inflicting bodily harm on Adams? Without reviewing the video in its entirety, these questions would be impossible to address. The police version of events becomes even more murky. Police statement alleges not only did Adams flee immediately, but he ran toward two parked cars with a gun in his right hand. They continued, quote, seeing he had no outlet, they believe he had intended to use the vehicle as a cover to shoot them, end quote. Now, if the uh, police perception, the potential for cover using a vehicle were legitimate, chasing the distance, total distance between Adams and the police would put police at a strategic disadvantage, not to mention closer the distance between the alleged suspect and police increases the odds of the, of the suspect successfully shooting police who lack cover. Unless these police lack a sense of self-preservation, putting themselves at harm, at harm defies logic, and no amount of police training can negate this human reaction to pending threat. Now, this regulation by police of events appear nonsensical, at the very least contrived by police for numerous reasons. One, if Adams immediately fled, the motivation is to get away, aid in his desire to get away. Secondly, police's assumption he would use a vehicle as cover to shoot at them is purely subjective since this action had not taken place. Now, this line of reasoning resides only in their heads. This is purely subjective. Now, reasoning that Adams had no, had no outlet to escape meant he was prevented from running or access to fleeing was cut off. Barring some type of enclosure like a fence, assertions he had no outlet stretches logic. In this context, the strategic response of police was pivotal in establishing the proximity of the police to Adams and their ability to shoot him. Thirdly, certainly, a cover from vehicle will preclude being shot seven times unless the bullets are magical, that is, they could circumvent the vehicle, go around the vehicle, and hit, the tar- hit, the, hit his target. One has to include these policies, these police are easy delusional, or their recollection is disingenuous. Fourthly, the police initial statement held two vehicles, two vehicles were present when Adams allegedly sought cover. Follow-up statements allude to Adams' attempt to use one vehicle, not two, for cover. Why would police assume he would use only one vehicle for cover and not both? When speculating, and this is important, any speculation is based upon conditions at hand. By excluding the potential use of both vehicles for cover, it suggests the narrative presented by police are not factual. Now, police reports state he had a gun in his right hand while he fled. Both family and attorneys allege it was a cell phone. Even if he had a weapon, according to the police, he had no outlet. Since escape was impossible, the only solution for Adams would have been to submit or to engage in shootout with the police. Neither eventuality happened. Instead, the private autopsy reveals he was shot seven times 
in the back. And look at this information provided by the police. This reaction by this revelation by investigators makes sense. Upon closer scrutiny of police actions, the notion police were at disadvantage rings hollow. Evidence supports the belief the police concocted a story to conceal the killing of Adams and the willingness of police officials to leave the state to procrastinate or to engage in complicity to subvert the truth are, are uncontrovertible. So why are the cases, excuse me, so why are these cases of police murder important for people? In the word fascism. Fascism is only effective if certain variables exist. Among them are, one, disdain for human rights, two, use of scapegoats to unite to right, the right wing, thirdly, control the mass media to conceal the level of, of police misconduct, and fourthly, obsession with crime and punishment. In other words, police are given a tremendous amount of power to enforce laws of benefit to the state and or elites. As laws become increasingly more repressive, civil and human rights are diminished. Police are tasked with carrying out repressive laws and or killing of citizens, particularly those designated undesirables or threats to entrench power like Africans, Muslims, Latins, Jews, gay people, and progressives are deemed justifiable. Such is a flaw of history. The, rule, the role of law enforcement is well conscripted, and any expectation their role can be altered to embrace the need for genuine justice for the poor, such a person will be sadly disillusioned. As illustrated by the tasing of a diminutive woman in Flint, Michigan last week, handcuffed behind her back and tasered twice at close range. Police deemed such action appropriate despite the potential for death. So clearly this correlation between police violence and fascism cannot be overlooked. We have to understand clearly, you know, that killing the people, killing the citizens serves a purpose. And for those of us out there who doubt that fascism could come to America, understand when you listen to police narratives in terms of, you know, why people are being killed, then listen, when, you, when, you, when you read these, these narratives, read them very, very carefully, because clearly uh, the, the law enforcement position is that they can release any narrative to us because we're so conditioned to believe that whenever the police speak, we, we inherently supposed to believe what they say. So we have to fundamentally reject this notion that when the police say something, it's actually factual all the time. So clearly uh, this relationship between fascism and police is a real, very real, real issue. Hello? Go ahead, Hello, go ahead, Africa. Go ahead. Yeah, okay, you got to come off some kind of way. Thank you. Next week, go off Brother again? Anthony. Brother. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, you got to cut off some kind of way. But yeah, well, thank okay. you. Good. At this point in time, we'll make a transition to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world and the community? Brother Anthony. Okay, certainly. Um, a couple of things uh, that should uh, raise uh, serious concern among uh, 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 among Africans, not only in the U.S., but worldwide. Uh, let's see. Uh, there was an uh, uh, there was an article I read about. Uh, you know about African youth uh, disappearing under uh, you know very mysterious uh, circumstances uh, without uh, the uh, you know the, the 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 knowledge of their uh, families. 
and this is a very uh, a very serious uh, concern uh, because uh, you know it speaks to uh, the level of repression that exists in the U.S. Also, uh, this is the 199th anniversary of the Monroe Doctrine, which is one of the documents that undergirds uh, U.S. foreign policy. And uh, for those who might not be familiar, uh, the Monroe Doctrine was uh, issued during uh, James Monroe's administration uh, during uh, the mid-1900s, uh, 1800s, rather. And uh, it said that, uh, that the Western Hemisphere uh, was the, the U.S.'s backyard, basically. And that, uh, that uh, you know, that uh, while Europe claimed, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the rest of the world, such as Africa and Asia, uh, the U.S. declared that Central, South America, and the Caribbean was the U.S.'s backyard. And uh, next year would be the 200th anniversary of that document. And uh, it is significant lies that it, uh, it, it, it is the backdrop of U.S. foreign policy towards those countries in Central, South America, and the Caribbean. Uh, there are still political figures, uh, figures to this day that regard this area as the United States' backyard. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Um, just, just for a note of interest, Brother Anthony, I think I was reading a report where Joe Biden did a presentation on Central and South America instead of saying a backyard, he he changed it to their front yard. So I thought that was ironic um, in terms of listening to your report. We thank you. Next we will go to next we will go to Brother Moses. What's going on in your world in the community, Brother Moses? Thank you, thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. Um, certainly, we want to recognize that uh, the FBI and the Justice Department is still on the case um, and the the January 6th committee is still doing their work on Liz Cheney. We haven't heard the last of her yet. And so um, this united front against fascism continues um, and we need need people to recognize, be conscious of what's going on and uh, because, because you know, we have to have a tit for tat struggle with fascism. Uh, uh, you can't appease, you can't appease fascism. That's the historical experience of the of the of the world um, in terms of fascism and during World War Two. The experiences um, show that uh, the process of appeasement is is not is, is, is the wrong path. 
You have to stand up and fight back. And uh, there has to be resistance. And so, um, meanwhile, uh, let's see. Oh, there's a drought in in China. I didn't. I, I didn't. Uh, I wasn't aware. Uh, but there's a a big drought uh, over the the. I think it's the Yangtze River. Uh, it's the main river that goes through there. There's a drought and uh, and the the water levels are real low. Uh, so China is, is in, a, in a a crisis in terms of water. Uh, a lot of people need assistance from the government. Uh, and um, there's, there's two, a couple millions of people involved in terms of uh, they're uh, affected by this water shortage. Anyway, those are two two things I can think of right now on hand. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, and we'll go to Sister Eleanor. What's going on in your world in the community, Sister Eleanor? Well, as um, Brother Moses said, the January 6th committee is forging on. In addition to that, we see that uh, the U.S., uh, the West, is suffering from a tremendous drought. And the Hoover Dam is at uh, the lowest level ever, record low levels. In addition, um we see that uh, the U.S. openings uh, are about to begin, and those uh, who have failed to be vaccinated are not being admitted to play or being admitted into the state of New York. In addition, we see that uh, Ukrainian women are now engaged in um, demining uh uh, parts of the Ukraine and engaged in uh, in uh, uh, the 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 the, the uh, process of assisting uh, with the war. They're taking on new new roles in wartime, including demining and combat. So that's something that apparently uh, we were training the um, Ukrainian people for a long time. As our Secretary of State Blinken said, we've been training uh, the Ukrainian people in uh, urban combat for nine years, and we've been involved with them since uh, 1993 with the fall of the Soviet Union. So um, uh, we see this world crisis. The environmental crisis continues to provide, to cause stress uh, across the world. And we see that water bills are going up. Uh, we see that uh, 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 privatization of uh, of public water, access to public water, whether it's in the District of Columbia, um, in the United States of America, or other countries such as Bolivia is causing a tremendous crisis for the poor and working class. 
And uh, the consumption of water in the U.S. apparently is about 150 gallons a day, where it's not even half of that in the U.K. And um, uh, in countries such as Kenya, is five gallons or less. So we see that there is an incredible uh, uh, change, and we see that... uh, once again, that uh, housing, education, health care, clean air, and access to water, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> access to clean water are basic human rights, and we need to work together <coughs> to push this forward. And as uh, Brother Moses said, fascism is growing. You see that the governor of Florida who is running for re-election, is also taking advantage of grassroots uh, um, elections. DeSantos has endorsed over 30 candidates, 20 of whom have won the election. Um, Well, actually 15 and five are facing uh, runoff. And this speaks to how important it is to organize, how important it is to vote, and how important it is to pay attention to the redistricting that occurs in your community every 10 years after the census is taken. And what we see across this United States is that uh, gerrymandering is accepted as a result of decisions that the Supreme Court recently made <laughs> in the last couple of years. So there's a time it's a time for us to organize more than ever and it is really a time for people to take over the uh political situations in their local community. Start where you stand and we can build a new party a national party by each community taking action where they stand. We also see that um, Abrams is planning on running for governor again in Georgia, Stacey Abrams, and uh, that's a, a wonderful thing. So thank you so much for allowing me to share some of the things that uh, are on my mind and are going on in my world with our audience this evening. Um, Stand strong and stand firm and realize that the U.S. is controlling the assets of uh, $7 billion of of Afghani assets while the Afghani children and women and families are suffering from (coughs) starvation, a lack of water, and a lack of heat. Let's see if we can um, change that as we change that here in the United States as well. Thank you so much, Brother Africa. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Um, This is just over to the panelists. I'll go back to something that has been raised, and periodically it has been raised before, and I'm just curious in terms of to need maybe give it more attraction, and that's the issue. I think, Brother Anthony, you raised the issue of the disappearance of the youth. And for the longest time, they have been 
outcries within the African community, you know, particularly the disappearance of the African women, you African women, by the hundreds and thousands, and no one has been able to um, find out, you know, what is happening. Only thing we know is that in our community, and women and youth in general is disappearing. I just wondering how can this take place, given the advancement of all of this technology and surveillance that um, the world's under, in terms of how you can judge about anything without somebody knowing about it. Uh, can I get some discussion, uh, response for you, Anthony, and the rest of the panelists? How can this be? I think what, uh, you know, a couple of factors that come into play is uh, one is uh, the fact that uh, that the African community inside the U.S. Is, isn't as tight as it used to be when, when uh, segregation was more blatant inside the U.S., and uh you know and uh you know and uh some of the support systems that we had in place you know for uh you know for our families have uh, have broken down somewhat that's one factor and another factor is the fact that uh you know as a consequence of that uh some Africans don't communicate among uh you know friends and family members like they used to, especially when they relocate to large uh urban areas and they tend to keep that to themselves pretty much and uh you know i think and I think that's a fa- uh a factor also. And, uh, you know, and just, uh, you know, a lack of knowledge of uh, their rights as human beings, let alone as, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, being U.S. citizens. I think that uh, I think that play uh, plays a factor, too. And, uh, you know, and the thing about it, though, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, you hear uh, from time to time, you'll hear news stories of uh, of uh, people being uh, sold into uh, either uh, prostitution or, uh, or, 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 or or people uh, or people getting their uh, organs uh, harvested for body parts and what and, and what have you. So uh, you know, I think those that there's several factors involved, and I think and and I think uh, you know the biggest one is the fact that uh, you know that the African community as a whole isn't as tight as it used to be when uh, segregation was more blatant inside the U.S. How does this loss or missing numbers of people and such large numbers don't even make the public agenda. Pandas, your response, Brother Hockey. Yeah, well, let's, you know, you know, as a backdrop, 
let us recall the situation with Wayne Williams in back in Atlanta uh, over over 20 years ago. Uh, remember that uh, it was alleged that this young man, this young brother, was responsible for the for disappearance or the killing, suspected killings of numerous number of you know um, African youth. Interestingly enough, the the authorities down in Atlanta refused to proceed with you know uh, with other uh, potential leads in terms of other suspects. Uh, they zeroed on Wayne Williams, and even though uh, the information you know that they used to convict Wayne Williams was sketchy, uh, the, what was interesting is that they fought hard in terms of denying any other possibility in terms of other people who could carry out these killings. So I said that all that to say that you know one of the things that we have to understand you know uh, as much as people you know have been conditioned to believe that you know anytime you extrapolate is mere is mere uh, conspiracy theory mongering. Uh, the bottom line is that we are we are we are an oppressed people, and the reality is that when you talk about a large number of people di- disappearing in the age of, of this age of technology, then it gives one one reason for pause because you start to think about it. You, they can spot someone setting a fire in the middle of a woods and arrest that suspect, but you're talking about you talk about numerous you know African people disappearing and nobody knows nothing. Technology is all of a sudden technology is uh, inefficient in terms of being able to discern precisely what is going on. So I think to a large extent, because we are oppressed people, we have to be on. on Go ahead, Brother Haki. Yeah, yeah. Because we are the, because we are an oppressed people, I think we we have to be cognizant of the fact, you know, that uh, there are ulterior motives that exist in the society, and if the fact if we can be utilized for whatever purpose, if it serves an interest of those in power, the problem is because we're so because we lack a unity, because we lack organization, then we're we're prone to susceptible in terms of actually being. You know, um, you know, are uh, picked off in large numbers. So clearly, I think Anthony has a point in terms of you know this this, this the propensity, this tendency among African community, you know, uh, sort of um, sort of um, uh, fragmented. So to the extent that we are fragmented, that we open ourselves up to this kind of exploitation. So clearly, brother Anthony, even though I can't articulate a particular cause in terms of why these these these, these people are disappearing, uh, one thing is very very clear: we are the oppressed people. We are powerless people, and the bottom line is that if we serve interest in some capacity, then you know we 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 have to agree that the potential in terms of disappearances uh, does does linger. And in the, the mere fact that the technology is inefficient uh, raises for me raises real real real, real concerns. Any response, Sister Eleanor, on this particular phenomenon? We know less than what, a year, year and a half ago in Georgia, they still never found no one um, guilty of taking organs out of a student body that was killed in the gym in a high school while school was going on. I still find it to be amazing. But anyway, Sister Eleanor, your response to well, what's up with all of these African people disappearing and nobody know nothing? Well, there are, um, I concur with both Brother Haiki and Brother Anthony, and there's a realization that um, black youth, especially black girls, are um, 
sexualized as children at a very early age. You see young girls, probably because of the nutritional factors, the hormones within food, at at nine and very young age, appear to be going through puberty. And rather than just knowing these are fourth and fifth grade children, um, they tend to be sexualized, and that is a problem. The sexualization of the children, so uh, the the sale and the human trafficking that's going on on planet Earth. I think many of uh, uh, our youth are subjected to the human trafficking, both for um, the use as uh, uh, sexual uh prostitution or 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 that sort of thing as well as uh indentured uh servitude and for harvest uh, organ harvesting that has been a problem um for some time now and i definitely think uh uh the the texas situation uh, should have bought it home that that wasn't the only young person being murdered for his organs. There are many others that we never see and are never heard of again. And in terms of of um, saying that uh, the technology could be used to find these children, well, when these children are sexualized, the police say, oh, your child ran away with uh, uh, some guy. And they still fail to look at it as statutory rape or, or, or these kind of crimes. And it is rare that you see an Amber Alert uh, concerning missing black children. Uh, occasionally we'll see an Amber Alert where it is a spousal dispute between a mother and father over the custody of their children. But in terms of parents and single children, um, it is it is um, really impossible to, to uh, ignore the impact that has on our community, that what happens in our community is the fact that with the sexualization of our children at such a young age, with the large number of single-parent households that we have, and the poverty that exists in the United States for Africans, for uh, 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 the indigenous people, uh, we are much more vulnerable to being exploited and the lack of unity we have with the police rather than working with the police and them working with us to keep us safe in our impoverished communities. Instead, they see us as a threat. And as Brother Haiki uh, spoke, talking about just shooting a, 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 a black male seven times in his back in California, and in the District of Columbia, again, this summer, we've had two black youth, two African youth shot 
in the back and murdered by D.C. police. That's yet to be addressed. There is a real breakdown in social services uh, with the police. Um, Child Protective Services is used as a tool against the family. We see so many children, instead of the state working to make sure children are able to remain with their parents and remain in their single-family homes and making sure they have the resources, including cash and access to transportation and other resources, they instead move them into group homes where many are uh, victimized. You see children becoming impregnated in the District of Columbia by the caregivers in the group homes. So we need to reimagine our community and, and, and to reimagine family structures and to support single mothers with the um, rearing of their children. And uh, that will help protect them and keep them safe. Because, yes, thousands of black youth, of African youth, go missing uh, every year. And it's not documented. It's not uh, anything that concerns the greater community. So it's up to us as Brother Anthony said, for us to develop the resources to once again make this a priority, as it was when we lived in our own communities because of segregation, because there is a new segregation right now. It's economic segregation. So you may live in the same community with with people from around the world. The difference is they go to Starbucks and you walk by Starbucks with your children. You know, that sort of thing. So there's a new form of segregation and it's economic segregation. And um, college youth are sitting in Starbucks complaining about these outrageous tuition bills while parents using SNAP are wondering how long will they have to sustain their family on these canned foods that have such an adverse effect on the health of their children? How long will they have to struggle with conditions that have to do with the environment, health conditions such as asthma? How long will they have to struggle with health conditions that have to do with the uh, environment, such as heart disease? You know, we often think of heart disease as, 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 as uh, we don't know the source of heart disease, but recent research has demonstrated that heart disease has to do with environmental factors, air pollution, as well as a lack of other factors, um, whether it be exercise, access to gyms, access to pools, access to a variety of resources. But that lack of access, access is causing health problems. And the loss of our children is because of a failure for us to respect, one, women, and if we don't respect women, 
we don't respect children because the women are raising the children. And in an extraordinarily number of our children are being raised by single women. And we need to face that reality and work to support them. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Brother Moses, can you weigh in on this issue of the disappearance of African youth? And this issue is not just a phenomenon in the United States. This is going on all over the world where you find African people and indigenous people. But anyway, Brother Moses, your response to this phenomenon? Yeah, well, I think, you know, they, the Brother Haki and Brother Anthony and uh, Sister Eleanor have covered every aspect of it of um I do I do wanna weigh in that um that William thing William thing in Atlanta, um, with the kids missing and all that, that was that was like nineteen eighty. That was that was you know, forty years ago at least. Um 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 I was doing the Reagan administration. I remember it well because it was fit in with the fascism that was going on. It was you know, Reagan was the first wave of fascism before, long before Donald Trump. Uh, as a matter of fact, Donald Trump is nothing compared to Reagan. Reagan, Reagan was a master of fascism, uh, um, and uh, Donald Trump is is, is more blatant uh, and easier to deal with than than Ronald Reagan was. But but uh, uh, I just I just think you know that. Um, that this this that's part of the fascism of, of this era of uh, the extreme racism and uh, exploitation and uh, organ organ harvesting etc. Uh, it's all part of that that uh, that inhumane outlook that uh, these 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 uh, defenders of life everywhere except where it exists. Uh, uh, pro-life people, uh, MAGA people. Uh, uh, it's you know, it's, it's part of that that culture, uh, um, and we have to be on guard and resist and stay organized. Thank you. You know, we must say with this level of um, losing out as youth, it's definitely. A- significant point of to raise a necessity for organization that don't because of conditions like the ones the ones that we are describing today it clearly states that you know we are people that must understand the necessity for organization but anyhow we will continue to move forward this is Africa on the move I'm brother Africa I'm your host we deceit we take the heat as we define it we can stand behind it we're going to take a Culture break, and when we come back, we'll make our transition to discuss part two. U.S. wants to rule the world. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the move.
Babylon Dig out me gold In a Milan Digging out me pearl In a Milan Dig out me diamond We are go fight, 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 fight against the We got to fight Bye. 
walk, this is real talk Smoke, push, and push, then we peel off Niggas still rootin' with the wheels off Always looking out for the crisscross I'm a bigger boss than Rick Ross Always winning, nigga get lost It's the warlord, bring the voodoo When I bail through, it's crazy like Bellevue What they tell you, leave that boy alone Like home alone, fuck a skull and bone Arrest the president, you got the evidence That nigga is Russian intelligence When it rains, it pours Did you know the new bike was orange? Boy, you're showing your horns They trying to replace my halo with thorns You so basic with your bait sticks Let's go ape shit in the matrix Arrest the president Arrest the president Arrest the president You got the evidence Arrest the president Arrest the president Arrest the president You got the evidence I took back my eyes And all black tonight That's right, some niggas gotta sacrifice Not a criminal No, I'm a seminal I was free once Now I'm clinical You so technical This was Mexico Now everywhere I go It's owned by Mexico Fuck them Fuck them and the rest of you I turn a fool to a back hopper I'ma roll with the aliens Man, fuck these homo sapiens They don't really wanna make friends All they want is a Mercedes Benz All they want is they dividends And decibels Fuck these citizens They'll treat us like hooligans Throw him in, they don't care what school he in These people don't play fair It ain't even fair at the state fair Give a young nigga gray hair That's why I'm here Make your ass lay there You better stay there Close your fucking eyes like it's daycare Make myself clearer than Shakespeare I'm here to take money, even fake hair So desperate is what I'm left with For the record, you affected Who you elected, it's so septic So full of shit, I can't accept it Arrest the president, arrest the president Arrest the president, you got the evidence Arrest the president, arrest the president Arrest the president, you got the evidence Arrest the president, arrest the president Arrest the president, you got the evidence Arrest the president, arrest the president, arrest the president, you got the evidence. I reside on the west side, I murder with my third eye. Nigga so fly, get a bird's eye. I make them scream bloody murder. Let's meet at the White House, run in and turn the lights out. Man, they treat it like a trap house. These motherfuckers never take the trash out. They just cash out and mash out. Nigga, take your drugs and pass out. Niggas love to go that fast route. I see you when your black ass get out. Homie, you play too much. Why these devils, they doing way too much. Most of them won't say too much. Why they steady planning? God knows what. That's why I roll with the real ones. Real ones, trying to reach millions. Real ones, trying to make billions. Real ones, dressed like civilians. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. It's not to eat on the beat. Hey, 
You go make you manya manya. The next is in manya manya. This is for people with alaka. Hey, people with alaka. Hey, nandi walanya. Hey, nandi kalanya. It go make you feel better. This can take away palaba. This can take away wala. It go make you feel nicer. Oh yeah, let's go to Kenya, Rwanda, Tanzania. No go Cameroon, Niger, Ghana, Sudan, Sudan. Oh yeah, make you go to the continent of Africa. Go to the make it up here, 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 here. Everybody go to the continent of Africa. Go to the make it up here, 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 here. One zara zara ne, one zara zara ne. Make it up here, 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 here. One zara zara ne, Mama Africa zara zara ne. Make it up here, here. and governments use to maintain their power. One would have to look at the history and the creation of the institution better known as the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Many call it the FBI. That was an interesting podcast um, by Margie, I believe his name was Margie Teller, who discussed the issue of defunding the LPI. And one of the issues she raised in this discussion was this question of the LPI today has been used or has been weaponized as a result of them coming under the disguise of so-called attacking Donald Trump and his present, his past administration. Panelists, in terms of listening to that discussion, some of the issues that were raised, 
Do y'all buy into this narrative that the FBI is being weaponized today as a result of what's going on in their investigation against Donald Trump and his past legislation? Could many forces to the left, in particular the history of the African community, been making these claims a long time ago? Its whole existence was based upon them being weaponized to support and oppress African people, indigenous people. Start off with you, Brother Anthony. Do you buy this logic of the FBI today has been used or been weaponized to attack the so-called right? Uh, The FBI has always been weaponized. Uh, It's part of the police apparatus that the uh, that the uh, bourgeoisie of the U.S. is used uh, to uh, to oppress uh, working class and poor people. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, one of the you know one of the first Africans that that went after uh, was Jack Johnson. Uh, not Marcus Garvey, uh, uh, contrary to popular belief, but, um, you know, uh, Jack Johnson, who was a boxer, uh, who had, uh, who, who had a thing for European women and, uh, and, uh, a lot of states, uh, at that time period, and we're talking about the early 20th century, had laws against uh, so-called interracial relationships. And, uh, you know, so actually uh, uh, one of the early victims of uh, the FBI was uh, Jack Johnson. Uh, not because of, uh, of his politics, but... Uh, the fact that uh, you know he liked to uh, socialize with Europeans, and uh, later on, uh, let's see, uh, the focus turned on uh, the work that Marcus Garvey was doing with the UNIACL, and uh, so actually, the FBI has always been uh, weaponized against us since the days it was founded, which was back in the, uh, toward the end of World War One, And uh, let's see, it has continued to this day. So the fact that, uh, and the fact that, uh, you know, that uh, they, uh, that, that, that they're after Trump is because uh, he took, uh, records uh, from the White House and kept them uh, and treated it as his own private property. And some of those, uh, uh, well, according to the news media anyway, uh, some of those contained uh, critical information about uh, uh, the U.S. intelligence uh, apparatus. You know, so... uh, but in terms of uh, the overall purpose of the FBI, 
uh, it's the same as uh, as it is for the police in general. Uh, they uh, they uh, they protect uh, the uh, you know the property of the ruling class of the society. That's their primary role. Now they uh, they may serve other functions, and uh, I, and I, I, I don't deny that. But their primary function, just like uh, the rest of the police, is to protect ruling class property. And uh, in the case of the U.S., that is the property primarily of the bourgeoisie. And I think people have to, you know, bear that in mind when they, uh, we, you know, when they listen to stories or read uh, uh, articles about the FBI doing this and that uh, sort of thing, that uh, bear in mind that their, their primary role is to protect the property of the ruling class by any means necessary. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Hackey, we in on the question of this characterization of weaponizing the FBI as it relates to how they deal with Donald Trump and his past administration. Well, let us let us let us let us be very let's be very, very candid about you know, the role of the FBI. Uh, you know, Let's be very candid in terms of what uh, this woman really means, this congresswoman really means, when she calls the uh, uh, sees the FBI as somehow a threat, you know, to 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 um, civil and civil rights in this society. The, the thing you have to stand that when you talk about this particular woman, uh, you know, her position is, and though she's a Christian nationalist, and uh, her position is that white people fundamentally have a right to rule the world. Uh, certainly have a right to rule America. Uh, and, in fact, when you talk about the kind of policies that exist in society, her position is that the, 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 the churches, because it's a Christian nation, has, should have a predominance uh, in terms of, um, in terms of you know, setting policy in the society because it's a Christian nation. She theoretically uh, uh, argues that, it, it, you know, because the, it's a Christian nation, the Christian, their, their power should be reflected in terms of their ability, in terms of you know, uh, intermating or creating policy in American society. So, in her world, the state will become subservient to Christian power. So, her thing is that anything that fundamentally is in opposition to her, the possibility of carrying out, you know, uh, the dictates the white Christian community, is, is conceived as a potential threat. So for her to attack Donald Trump, you know, who is seen as so quote unquote the Messiah of the right, uh, is, is 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 so is is, is like she's saying uh, that you know as though the state is actually attacking Jesus Christ himself. So for her, Donald Trump first serves a very useful purpose in terms of bringing into being this Christian nationalism that so many like this particular woman you talk about uh, want to see come into existence. Uh, so, therefore, I can see her paying the, the FBI in negative light. But having said that, Brother Africa, I think we have to understand, just historically, when we talk about the role of the FBI, it has always been, um, you know, um, 
you know, to preserve the interests of the status quo. And when you talk about the history of the FBI, when you talk about people like J. Edgar Hoover, he was very clear that the role of the FBI is to establish or to maintain the interests of the status quo. In that context, he saw African people uniquely a threat to the system simply because by virtue of the oppression of African people and African people's resistance, he saw it as a fundamental threat to the overall ethos of the system itself. And so, therefore, they became enemies. So, so when this when this woman that you talk about, when she talks about the fact, you know, that somehow that the FBI is some some type of enemy, you know, to the right to the right wing, understand that she's not talking about being the FBI being a threat to human rights or civil rights for African people and a working or working class people. She's talking about the fact that he, they're coming at the right, and so Donald Trump's criminality is not an issue. That's not an issue for her. For her is to, to achieve Christian nationalism in the society, and so that's her motivation in terms of targeting the FBI. And keep in mind, brother Africa, this is the thing we also got to be very, very careful about, very, very concerned about. When she attacks these institutions, when these conservatives attack these institutions, think about it. What they're saying is these these institutions are fundamentally misaligned or aligned against the interests of the masses of white people in the society, in particular white Christian conservatives or conservatives generally. When they make that when they make that claim, they give more credibility to right wing forces in society which says that, you know, white people are fundamentally unattacked. We do not understand that's crazy. But what which, but what they do do is they provide they provide the, the ammunition, the the far right needs in terms of not only gaining credibility, but increasing their efforts in terms of organiz, in terms of organizing. So clearly this woman has an agenda, and her agenda is, you know, the fulfillment of Christian nationalism. And she also realized in order for her to do that, she has to attack these institutions that don't fundamentally align with her interests. So any federal government that doesn't align with her interests automatically becomes the enemy. And this is very, very dangerous. This is very, very dangerous. But in saying that, we have to understand in terms of when, they, when those conservatives like this woman does that, then, so when we talk about the elevation of fascism, then we understand that this is no no mere, you know, imagine this is no mere uh, uh, imaginary view. This is something that's very very real in terms of what's going on in society right now. And so when they attack these institutions like the FBI and, and the state, of, the, F, well, the FBI, and they attack the Justice Department and they attack the Congress or the Senate and so forth and so on, when it does that, it simply adds to to, 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 to fascism, and that's precisely what she wants to come into existence. Without the fascism, people like this woman that you talk about realize fascism doesn't have a leg to stand on. It can't grow. It can't. It can't. It can't develop sufficiently in terms of being carrying out its mandate, in terms of taking over power absolutely in the society. So clearly, she understands that the Africa is not antagonistic toward toward Trump per se. Uh, she just understands in order for her to, to fulfill her destiny in terms of Christian nationalism or nationalism generally, that the FBI stands in the way. And so any institution that fundamentally stands in the way will be tarred, you know, as somehow an enemy of the people. Understand this is all part of a strategy, and this is what we've got to be very, very concerned about. You know, Brother Aki, you sort of described the, the, the point where often people don't understand that you could be in agreement against the same thing, but not necessarily for the same thing. That's why I hear from your analysis, which is um, interesting. But um, 
Let's move forward and see what Brother Moses has to say. Brother Moses, you weigh in on the discussion. Where are you at on defunding the FBI? And this question of recognizing the FBI. Well, the FBI, um, you know, has been part of the state and uh, the reactionary government of the United States of America. So, you know, it has played uh, a tremendous role in terms of pushing the agenda of the United States ruling class, and so it's no friend of the working class. However, when it comes to the words and uh, the propagation of democracy, democratic institutions and uh, processes uh, to extent that there are democratic institutions and processes. You know, we have to support support uh, it's the struggle against fascism and Donald Trump in particular. And so, so I support the uh, prosecution of, of him to the fullest extent of the law. And, uh, and, you know, we need to build a movement uh, against him and, uh, and, 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 and raise it to a, 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 a class conscious level. But uh, anyway, I'll, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Mr. Eleanor, you heard the discussion. Would you like to bring on your thoughts? Because we do know that when we well, talk about the institution, institutions of the FBI, it's a history of being, playing a major role in in various t- different types of intelligence programs aimed at the destruction of Africa and African people, such as Cointel Pro. So this question of defunding the FBI Many people would say that's not going far enough. They need to eradicate it because it's an instrument. It's a tool. It's an institution that seek to not destroy African people, but seek to destroy anyone who is for a just and humane society. Uh, since I know when. Well, in this case, Marjorie Taylor Greene is a threat to democracy in the United States. She's a threat to the U.S. Congress. As you know, the Congress itself has been struggling. She is a QAnon that was elected from the state of Georgia. So I cannot possibly uh, discuss her uh, 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 or, or align myself with her or any, any, nor can should any other African people align themselves or Democratic-loving people align themselves with Marjorie Taylor Greene. She is the enemy of the state. She is backwards, and she is a threat to Africans, and I dare say a racist herself. Now, right now, this issue with Donald Trump really needs to play out. This is a rare opportunity for the United States for us to see that no one is above the law. Donald Trump did something that no other president or any other person has done. He's taken classified documents out of the White House to his golf course resort in Florida. That is a crime. 
we saw him um, have an insurgent on the capital of the United States, January 6th. Now, we're aware of J. Edgar Hoover's behavior, a Washingtonian, the head of the FBI, and his his uh, keeping records on Dr. Martin Luther King and this sort of thing. But this is a new era. Um, as Robert said, it was Ronald Reagan, Brother Moses said, it was Ronald Reagan who began to loosen regulations on journalists where they did not have to report the facts and the truth. And at first we thought it was just a farce with um, Rush Limbaugh, but no, it isn't. And now with the new age of media, people are further divided. And if I may, Brother Africa, I want to go back to what uh, you just said about the missing African children, missing African-American children. Well, two weeks ago, I saw a woman in a wheelchair in her 30s, missing half of her leg, being pushed in a manual wheelchair with a 6, 9, and 10-year-old, a 10-year-old son, a 6 and 9-year-old daughters, along with her three nieces trying to help push her manual wheelchair and groceries home up 14th Street while all along that same street were middle-class diners sitting at outdoor cafes and bars. There's a huge divide right before our eyes. These are people that are living in what was a historically black neighborhood now moved in and there are few and there are still a few pockets of African Americans left. They're either homeowners or the very poor. Now this young woman is sick with a disease, an autoimmune disease called lupus. I would dare say she's not getting the best care in the world. And her doctors told her that the reason they wouldn't give her an electric wheelchair is she needs to practice walking. Well, they forgot a couple of other things. She needs to be whom she is, and that is a mother. So she needs an electric wheelchair to take her children to a playground, to a pool, and once she arrives there, she can practice walking. She doesn't have an opportunity to have different prostheses or a trainer to come to her home. She has just what her lowly government insurance that she's fortunate to have by living in Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia. But her health was miserable. She has ulcers on her body, boils all over her body. And these aren't, this isn't a disease of hygiene. This is an autoimmune disease. This is evidence of what a single mother suffers through in quiet. And it is reflected in the illness that her body is showing us. Her body is mirroring mirroring for us the economic 
suffering that she is experiencing. And here we are discussing Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, the elected official who believes in the QAnon that many of us are zombies and you can't tell until we're shot and that you take an oath to support the nation, including killing other citizens. So this 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 is a crackpot who uh, obviously duped a bunch of voters, and it explains and demonstrates to us why it's important to organize voters and take action. And Marjorie Taylor Greene isn't the only person acting out like this in the last few weeks. Santos in Florida as I said earlier, has supported 30 local candidates, including school board candidates in Miami. And he has suspended three. And he has his vice governor, lieutenant governor, going around discussing and supporting candidates, talking about kids need to learn ABCs. And then he uses the acronym for gay um, transsexual by people uh, as uh, ABCs over that acronym. Just ridiculous things. But you see that the voters made a difference in that one they voted to against the gerrymandering of the state of Florida. They voted to give ex-convicts to ha- allow them to have their records expunged and the right to vote returned to them. They voted to support the legalization of medical marijuana. So, you know, what we see is how important when there is a fascist movement that's not only domestic but global, that people take action and exercise the few reforms that they have in their community, and voting is one. And it just lets you know how dangerous Marjorie Taylor Greene is because on the surface, this this uh, video would seem appealing to us as Africans. But she's not concerned about Africans. She's not concerned about how black people are gunned down by police and how files are kept on us for being activists. She's concerned about Donald Trump and his refusing to to recognize the laws of this country. She's supporting his insurgents on January 6th. She's supporting uh, his goals to expand fascism in this country. And he is a danger because Unlike Ronald Reagan, he now has access to social media and therefore reaches a broader audience as does Marjorie Taylor Greene, and she is a danger to the community. And her interests in the FBI do not parallel the interests of the people. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Brother Anthony, and then follow with Brother Haki, when you look at this phenomenon, of course, to talk about the FBI, you can't leave out their twin brother, the CIA, Central Intelligence. 
um, agency. Now, when we talk about this whole question, when the police fight among themselves, what should be the response of the press communities when these so-called split the fights um, manifest itself publicly? How do we use that situation to to help us get further along down the road towards our liberation? Brother Anthony and Brother Hackey, y'all response? Yes. Um, we have to further politically educate ourselves and get organized, uh, you know, uh, better organized. And I think... Uh, uh, you know, we have, you know, we use that opportunity uh, to really examine the role of uh, police, all forms of police, uh, you know, uh, in our society. Uh, and, uh, you know, the implications of them fighting among themselves over uh, uh, over uh, authority. Uh, we have to uh, educate ourselves to the as their role, past, present, and uh, organize. Uh, we need to organize uh, because uh, uh, the. Uh, uh, the bourgeois duopoly is not going to ab- abolish the FBI. It's going to take the working people to do that, and they can only do that if they're permanently organized to do so. Brother Hackey, your, your take on how do we use the opportunity when the police has a split or fight among themselves? How do we take advantage of the opportunity to help push the movement forward? Uh, well, Brother Africa, you know, one one of the things, you know, uh, when, when we talk about these departmental clashes between these various agencies, um, you know, well, these, these agency clashes, uh, one of the things we've got to be very, very clear on, they may have these disagreements in terms of policy or the disagreements in terms of how to function or disagreements in terms of, uh, in terms of, um, in terms of, um, uh, you know, how these policies should be interpreted. Those differences come up from time to time. But the problem is that they're generally united on the idea that they're going to maintain oppression. In other words, the notion that they're committed to what is in the interest of the ruling class will persist. So in that context, you know, uh, in terms of exploring, you know, that division, I'm not sure if there's any that I'm not sure there's any any benefits to us, you know, as an oppressed community in terms of uh, being able to use those divisions to our advantage in terms of progressing to struggle forward, because uh, bottom line is that they are definitely committed to 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 the further oppression of African people. That's not going to change. Uh, I think to the extent that there are some benefits in terms of uh, maybe uh, you know utilizing this um, uh, those those kind of those kind of divisions uh, to educate the community, I think the only real tangible benefit I think it has to do with the fact that we can demonstrate you know that uh, you know because you have these kind of division, 
uh, that clearly in terms of maintaining, uh, you know, their maintaining their authority. Well, oftentimes, these 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 this attempt to maintain authority conflicts. In that context, it's very very clear, you know, that um, if we could just educate the people when you have those kind of conflicts. Uh, that clearly in terms of how to maintain our, our oppression uh, differs. So I think uh, to the extent that we can educate people, uh, you know, to, to think on a much more abstract level, then we can appreciate in terms of, you know, understanding the difference in terms of how this oppression is maintained, and possibly we can, we can maneuver around it in terms of organizing. Uh, but that's saying a lot to Brother Africa because I'm presupposing that, you know, that people understand, number one, that they become aware in terms of these differences and intimately understand the differences in terms of the differences around these agencies and they use that for purposes of organization. Now, for all of us to do that, it's going to talk for a lot of discourse, a lot of discussion among people for clarity because these things are very subtle. They're not very, very, uh, very, very concrete. They're very, very subtle. So understand that, understand the implications in terms of being able to understand the differences between the agency policies and to use that to our benefits. We ha that we have to understand the the not only the complexity in terms of what's taking place, but to understand you know in terms of you know theoretically what can we do in terms of moving forward, moving moving forward in terms of taking into account you know the divisions that exist. That's very very difficult to do if people in the first and, first and foremost are not cognizant. Of these, of these very subtle, subtle uh, conflicts that take place with respect to these agencies, or people don't, people don't realize, you know, that or or, or, or fail to see that uh, these these differences and these, these these conflicts among these agencies are are, are are somehow exploitable. So it's a very difficult question that you ask, Brother Africa. As much as I like to believe that you know that we could see these divisions, these divisions that exist across agencies and use them to our advantage. It's going to call for a lot of discourse, a lot of understanding, and trying to get people to understand clearly, you know, these, these differences and what they mean in terms of advancing the movement. That's a very difficult thing to do at this point in history. It's not to say that at some point in history we won't get to that point where we can do that. But right now it's, it's very, very difficult, in my estimation, in terms of appreciating those divisions that exist among these agencies and using it to our advantage, you know, to advance us to struggle. And I close with that. And with their response, we will pause for the cause, and when we will come back, we will continue the discussion. Part two, yes, want to move the world, where we will talk about this whole question of water, the power of controlling water. Who are the global water water, water grabbers? Who are the global water grabbers? Yes, water, too, is being used as a politicized and and to, to monetize and control people in the world. We will have that discussion more. You're listening to Africa on the Moon. Survivor. 
my king, is my one, yes, he's my father, yes, he's my son, I can talk to him, cause he understands everything I go through, and everything I am, he's my support system, I can't live without him, the best thing since life's bread, is his kiss, his hug, his lips, his touch, and I just want the whole world to know about my black brother, continue to discuss that theme tonight. Part two, you just want to rule the world. 
52 statement, when we talk about capitalism and imperialism, look at its nature and behavior, they will try to commodify everything. There's nothing in the world that can't be commodified by the capitalist philosophy and the imperialist philosophy. This article is a good example. It's an article titled, Who are the Global Water Gabbers? Who are the Global Water um, Gabbers? They looking at water now as a commodity to be sold to the highest bidder. They looking at water today as a tool for oppression. They looking at water today as a tool to control the rest of the world. Let's talk about this old question: water rights, the issue of water, and should water be viewed as a human right? It should never be privatized. We start off with leading lead discussion. We start off with um, Sister Eleanor. Should water be viewed as a means for as a means of human rights? Everybody has the right now to water, but good, healthy drinking water. It should be privatized. Sister Eleanor, talk to us. Well, Brother Africa, water is a human right, and now there has been. There's a global movement we saw in Baltimore just a few years ago. Um, the Baltimore um, people and their legislature fighting to stop the privatization of water. And what we see with the privatization of water and failed infrastructures is uh, increase in water prices. Uh, water, for example, was a bill you paid annually or you paid biannually. Now you're paying it monthly. And the privatization of, of water, whether in the United States or in Bolivia or anywhere, is a, uh, a crime against humanity. And uh, uh, water, clean air, uh, housing, all of these things, when we talk about land use and the rights of indigenous people to control the, their land, that include what's under their land, whether it's water or oil, but water is most precious. And we see where there is a huge aqueduct that runs through several states, Texas, um, New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, uh, South Dakota, uh, Kansas, and uh, one billionaire owns that access and is shipping that water, has bought the right by paying $200 a year annually to sell the, bottle, the water at a dollar a bottle and is selling it now in India. So, you know, this is definitely a growing problem, and it's one that if we had a progressive Congress, they would set, take action to make this a national uh, uh, law that would pro- prohibit the privatization of water rights. And this is something that very often... People think, I bought the land, I I own the water. 
and uh, we find that there are two ways of dealing with water. In the West, you see co-ops for utilities, uh, such as electricity, but also access to water. Uh, We see right now uh, people across the Western United States, the agricultural business going under, people being forced to sell their land for virtually nothing. Now, there there are use-based and land-based. Use-based has little to do with the land. You can buy, there's uh, uh, what they call repartisan water rights as well as uh, ground, I guess, groundwater rights, and and this is the surface water. But what's really important is the water underneath. And we've seen these kind of fights happening with well water contamination for small farmers. But this is where we're talking about aqueducts. And in this article, we talk about uh, the largest aqueduct in the United States. That, as I said, as um, the article says, it uh, it sits at it's Texas, uh, Oklahoma, New Mexico, Colorado, Kansas, South Dakota, Nebraska, Wyoming, and I, I hope I mentioned Colorado. So eight states out of 49 states. And uh, it's the largest aqueduct in the United States. So we see that water is being traded as a security. I don't, I did not know, I did not know that. I knew that Bolivia tried to outlaw, outlaw the privatization of water but uh, they lost that battle. And in the end, the customers, the consumers in Bolivia were forced to pay the price of that fight with the Bolivian government. So now is the time for people to stand up and make sure that the water in their cities and their communities is um, not only... um, um, a public utility, but a publicly owned utility. And oftentimes we confuse what is called a public utility, owned utility, and they may be quite different. That, in fact, our water may be uh, owned by a domestic or a multinational company. So people really need to investigate And I would suggest that people in the District of Columbia investigate because there was a water crisis here some 20 years ago, and the district chose to change over its water operations, and I think they may have engaged in private companies. So now we're seeing flooding on Rhode Island Avenue in Northeast D.C., 
that has never happened since the construction of the city and flooding in other parts of the city. And it has to do with the uh, companies, the private companies engaged in building a new infrastructure for public water waste as well as the distribution of water. Now, as a nation, we've already learned to consume water in plastic bottles, so we aid we aid uh, the global destruction of the oceans by buying all these little plastic bottles, and we become accustomed to accepting water is belongs to who can afford to drink it. And more people die annually, waterborne diseased, and die in wars across the globe. So this is something really to examine. And water is definitely a human right, Brother Africa, access to clean water. And it's something that um, we need to face as a national issue as well as a local issue, the um, uh, fact that our water and access to our water be uh, publicly owned and not privatized. Thank you. Thank you, you, Sister Eleanor. Next we go to Brother Moses. Should water be privatized and reviewed as a a human right, Brother Moses? What is your position? Well, water... It's definitely a human right, uh, agua fria. Um, basically, you know, economics is the study of how scarce goods are, are distributed. And water and uh, air itself has become good. It's not a readily available uh, as it should be. And, uh, you know, they're privatizing, you know, trying to make money off everything everything that sustains life and so you know you know um having fresh decent water is is um is a privilege in in society today uh, i think um you know we we talk about it being a human right but uh uh you know, as you know, the public utilities and the, the water bills come. Anyway, I'm I'm leaving it right there later. Thank you, Brother Moses and Brother Hakeem. One of the things that this article indirectly talks about is the issue of municipalities and governments uh, and states rationalize that they don't have the resources to do infrastructure. So that's their justification to privatize it. But for years we have all been thought that the role of the federal government and you know state government is to do that kind of work of providing infrastructure. Why is it that the federal government, state governments cannot create resources to do the kind of infrastructure development that is needed? So water would never be would be considered to be privatized. Your response, Brother Hackey. Well, 
Well, in a nutshell, uh, the reasons why uh, municipalities can't respond to the water crisis because the reality is we live on a capitalist society. And so when these, so when these locales talk about the fact that they don't have the, 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 the revenues in terms of engaging in the, you know, uh, this kind of infrastructure uh, repair in terms of maximizing the use of the available waters, they're not an exaggeration. Uh, keep in mind, you know, one of the things when we, when we talk about, you know, uh, the decline, you know, uh, the, the, the decline of the water table. One of the things is very, very interesting. Uh, you know, uh, for longest for the longest time, uh, there's been much discussion around you know, desalinization stations, you know, uh, being innovated and in, in, in placed around the country. Uh, to date, no plans have been implemented in terms of utilizing desalinization uh, stations for the sole purpose of providing people clean water, clean drinkable potable water. And the reason for that is very, very clear. Because we think water is a human right. We have to understand in the context of capitalism, water is not a human right. Water, like any other thing, is a commodity. Flint, Michigan was a perfect example. In 2014, when these people uh, decided to pump the water from the Flint River as opposed to the Detroit River, they understood pretty well that the water in the in Flint River was polluted. They, in fact, uh, you know, all of the sludge, from the from the from the from the from the plants, all the sludge from the city itself, indeed, uh, was pumped into the Flint River. But despite that, they what they did was they pumped they pumped water from Flint, Michigan, Flint River to provide it to the people. And the question is now, if you know the water is is in fact you know uh, not suitable for human uh, consumption, then why would you do that? Well, their positions were very clear. It was cheaper to do so. And so in their context, so what they were saying. Is that you know because it's a it's a commodity, uh, the quality of water is really not germane in terms of making a decision because the quality of water was really germane to the decision. They would never conclude that we're going to pump this dirty water to people to consume, but because it's a commodity and choices are being made, they say, well, okay, we have the good water in the Detroit River, and we have the bad water in the Flint River, so we will give these people the Flint water because it's cheaper, and uh, you know, and all our problems are solved. So this notion in terms of, you know, so when we talk about the notion in terms of, you know, um, financial deficits uh, in, the, in society, when we talk about municipalities specifically, it's very, very real, Brother Africa, because we're talking about, on average, we're talking about $3 billion in terms of debt for municipalities around the country. And so clearly, if you have a situation in the capitalist system, the capitalist system that says that it's all about the bottom line, then keep in mind, uh, you know, uh, with this scarcity in terms of water, as Brother Robert talked about, with this scarcity in terms of water, profits could be maximized. And so, therefore, a lot of profits could be maximized. You know, whether or not people have access to clean potable water is not an issue. The issue is who, who can profit from that. And this is the, the, absurd, the absurdness of capitalism in which people, do, when, we, so when we keep saying that this is the most destructive, diabolical system ever innovated by human beings, people, a lot of people don't get that. They think that somehow we're just being overly dramatic or somehow we're being um, unusually, uh, un unusually callous toward capitalism and, and, and not understanding that when we say those kind of things, we're not being disingenuous. We're saying that based upon the tenets of capitalism, how it works, uh, the right to, human, right to water is not, a, the right, right to clean water is not a human right under capitalism. And, and that's that is a problem. And so here it is in the 21st century. We're still waiting for these desalination stations to take place. But despite that, none on the horizon. Think about that. You know there's a scarcity. 
But yet, you're not going to do anything to tend that scarcity because what you're saying is that everybody do not have a right to water. That water, not only because of the scarcity, uh, we would deter- the market would determine who gets water and who doesn't receive clean water. So it's very, very scary. And keep in mind, and I'll close with this, Brother Africa, when we talk about, you know, uh, you know, currently, you know, um, 300 million people get water from pu- pu- uh, public uh, public companies. The bottom line is that when we talk about the capitalism deteriorating, we talk about the decline of capitalism as it deconstructs. One of the things that the, the one of the things is that we understand that just in terms of you know municipalities are financed, we understand you know that in terms of you know, revenues from the government have been decreasing since the since the 1990s. And because these revenues have been decreasing since the 1990s, the reality is that these municipalities are essentially bankrupt. Now, if, if they're bankrupt, what do you think the pressure is going to be on these public water companies? The only, revol- the only resolution for them is to go privatize. That's the only way they can do it. At least some people keep their jobs. Now, of course, in the context of when you, when you, when you, when you privatize, that means certain people are going to be priced out of the market. They don't have access to clean water simply because the prices are prohibited. They won't be able to afford the prices of water. This is the argument that we're confronted with. Now, keep in mind also that, you know, when we, when we talk about you know, the problems to procure to water and we talk about global warming, now you stop and think about, well, you got all this global warming and the impacts it's having on the water tables. Uh, when you think about that, then you say to yourself, well, if we persist with policies that contribute to global warming, then we, by, you know, if we extrapolate, then we understand Global warming is going to persist in increasing the, the, the problem in terms of water scarcity. So why do we persist in doing something that we know is going to be it's going to be detrimental or, or, or catastrophic to the interests of human beings uh, in, the near, in the very near future? The answer is it's all about the money. It's not about humanity. It's not about human beings. It's not even about the planet. It's about who can profit, and we got to be very very clear on that. In a, in, in a country in which your water tables, according to hydrologists, uh, has been declining in like two-tenths of a meter per year, then clearly this imp- the implication in terms of these, these, the, the, the decline of water not only impacts uh, people, but it also impacts in terms of the cost of that water. So as the water, this water declines, and we talk about the pumping costs that increases, and we talk about the decline of water, the quality declines, or we talk about the reduction of water actually flowing from these underground places into these lakes and streams. When we talk about the detrimental impact in terms of global warming on all of these processes, and know it's going to adversely impact the masses of people or adversely impact humanity generally, but yet we persist to do so, then we got to understand that there's only one, there's only one adversary in terms of bringing about this miserable result. And the destructive result is that it's capitalism. And if we don't fundamentally understand how capitalism works, then we, we, we're imp- instrumental in uh, participating in our own, de- own demise, our own destruction. So, clearly, Brother Africa, to answer your question, no. Capitalism, water is not a right. Water is a commodity. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Anthony, as Dr. King once stated, we have some difficult days ahead. I say that in regards to looking at some of the issues that were raised in this article. Who are the global water grabbers? 
Now, one of the things they mentioned was even if you have land and you have deep water or fresh water under your land, the issue becomes do you have the technology, do you have the means to be able to drill and get to the water? And if you don't, then what is the value if you don't have the means to drill for the water? in order to use it, to sell it, et cetera. Now, we saw that the Nestle company in Flint, Michigan, they was making a dollar a bottle, getting hundreds and thousands of gallons of water, only at the cost of, I believe they stated $200 a year, which were robbing the people. How do we change this this this, this dynamic, brother? Have you fighting this corruption and realizing that um, uh, this question water is an important uh, resource that must be available to the masses to manage it, not to those who can just afford it. Uh, just discuss some of your thoughts and looking at this issue that um, are facing the people and will face us even more critically in the future. Your general response, Brother Anthony. Sure. Uh, You're correct, Brother Africa. And I want to, you know, backtrack a bit in terms of, uh, you know, because people that aren't, uh, uh, that might not be uh, technically inclined may be wondering why it is even possible to commodify something as common on the planet Earth as water. Um, I want to give an explanation. I think it was pointed out at some point in the article that only only a small percentage, uh, like uh, 2.5% to 5% of the water in the in the world is fit for human consumption, and most of that is on land. That is how uh, capitalists, uh, such as uh, multinational corporations, banks, etc., are able to commodify water because it's scarce. Uh, the water that is fit for human consumption is very rare. And uh, and uh, there are capitalists that take advantage of this to commodify water. That's why you have, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a lot of people spending so much money on, uh, on buying bottled water, for example. Uh, cause they don't trust the, the, the quality of the, uh, 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 of the water that's, uh, avail- available, uh, from the water faucets. And also, um, a lot of, uh, in a lot of, uh, you know, uh, municipalities, municipalities and states, water is privatized. Even the water you get from your, uh, from, from, uh, even tap water is privatized in certain areas. And, uh, and the only way, uh, 
only way to put an end to it is for the workers to get organized uh, to change the system. Uh, because it fits in with perfectly with the nature of capitalism. Everything is a commodity. I mean, if they can make human labor a commodity, I mean, they can do that with, uh, with virtually anything else. And that includes something that's scarce as uh, drinkable fresh water. And, um, you know, uh, it's going to take the permanent organization of the masses of the people to bring that sort of thing to an end. Uh, but uh, right now, uh, you know, the way capitalism works and uh, the, contr- uh, the, the control of uh, the marketing of water, which should be a human right, which it is under a socialist society, of which there are very few, but, uh, you know, under capitalism, uh, water is a commodity, uh, just like everything else is practically. And uh, and uh, these multinational corporations, banks, and billionaires, they can they're trying to maintain control of the water supply, and uh, they uh, and that's why this uh, this dispute over water rights occurs because of. Uh, monopoly capitalism in all of his manifestations. Thank you, Brother Anthony. You know, this for the panelists and um just like to have your thoughts on just this 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 understanding this phenomenon. Everything that the capitalists do, they use it as a means to make more money. That's a given. Now when we look at the use of technology, I know um uh, there's many, many um, articles on this whole question of how different companies and filthy rich capitalists are creating their own satellites to put up in the sky. Now, recently we did an article on Africa where they're talking about um, they got we have over three thousand satellites alone over the land base that we call Africa. As we say, satellites that can penetrate beneath the earth to know what's under the land. Now, if they know what's under the land and they can find the different water supplies in which they are doing, if they are given the information and the technology to dictate where, how they move, and we can also anticipate this is how conflicts will be created or this is how policies will be directed in certain countries and certain people, to ensure that they grab these particular areas because they know the value was on it. Now, for the masses of the people who don't have access to the technology and don't have access to the information, we only going to be caught as pawns. So in terms of technologically speaking, panelists, how do we get in this game of um, this game of technology so we can ensure what, is, um, what we have and we have a better understanding of its value? Because I see them using these technologies, i.e., 
They use uh, satellites. They are taking more shifts out of space so they can find more about the Earth as no more than another sophisticated means of gathering information so they can use to control and exploit the resources that are right for all the belongs to the people. Well, it's your general response to that sum up. Yeah, go ahead, Brother Moses. Yeah, I'm I missed your point. The use of using technology as mean to grab the information to see what's under the ground has become a valuable tool in terms of how they can determine where and what and what type of policies they will use to take um, resources from the people. The question is, how do we deal with that phenomenon, given the fact that most technologies is not in the hands of the people? Right, right. We, we're, we're sort of uh, secondhand, get secondhand information. I mean, it's the techni- technological uh uh, instruments are uh, in the hands of professionals usually, and, and but uh, but nevertheless, you know, information is flowing, and uh, we do get information, and so we become aware of what's going on. And uh, we have to be organized uh, to to assert our interests. Uh, that's the only that's 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 all we can do with. Organization is our only weapon, really, uh, and we have to assert our interests by through that organization. And, and this, this is there's no shortcuts. Uh, there's no shortcuts around it. I'll leave it right there. Thank you. You Well, brother Asgar, I want want to go back to the issue of uh, Flint, Michigan, that brother Aki mentioned. You know, Nestle's was uh, two hours away in Everett, Michigan, pumping water, uh, selling it at a dollar a bottle, as he said, to the government of Flint to provide for the residents of Flint. Uh, while they paid 200 a year annually to pump this water out of Everett, Michigan. And what we did see happening, and that we can affect now, because it's only a few countries that are allowing the privatization of water, like Australia, Chile, United States, and Spain, uh, that, that have... Uh, uh, introduce water markets and water trading. This is very, very new. And as I said earlier, Baltimore, the city of Baltimore, was the first city in the United States to amend its charter in the city's uh, um, const- its uh, charter in the city's constitution to prohibit water privatization. Now, this was done in the early uh, 21st century, so we now know what needs to be done, and we have the tools to do that through 
referendums, through uh, voting on those referendums, and privatizing the use of water, and uh, not uh, through uh, making sure that water remains a public resource and that it is not privatized that it is not privatized it's very important for us as uh, it's very important for us as citizens of the world to recognize the importance of water so we see how Nestle exploited the 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 the, the city of Flint Michigan in a water crisis by uh, selling water from the state, Everett, from the Everett, Michigan, to the people of Flint, Michigan. So, you know, there are real issues that we need to deal with, and, and we can do this through other means and immediate means as and use the example of Baltimore, Maryland, as the first U.S. city to... Amend its, its its charter, its city constitution to prohibit water privatization, and we can do this because when you talked about this uh, underground searching for water, well then water does become a big boy's game, and the people that we see involved in that activity are Golden Sachs and uh, the billionaires. But right now, the billionaires won't stand a chance if people wake up and realize that the privatization of water should not be allowed, that they should pass legislation making sure that water remains a public commodity. It's as simple as that. We do not need to um, make sure that... uh, uh, we need. We do not need to focus on um, the satellite research and the activities of the George H. W. Bush family or Goldman Sachs. Um, um, you know, we saw in this article how the Bush family bought 300 acres of North American and the world's largest aqueduct. And uh, as I said, that aqueduct um, um, uh, covers eight states, and they bought that in 2005 or 2006. I don't remember. It was stated in the article. So we need to make sure that the states of New Mexico, that Texas, that Kansas, that Colorado, that Wyoming, make sure that water remains a public utility, that it not be privatized. There's already a major drought in the western United States. So once we begin to, and we need to view water management as a national issue, a national health issue, similar to the way we dealt with COVID-19 as a, a national issue, a public health issue. We need to deal with water management as a national issue, a public health issue, access to clean water, whether above the ground or under the ground. Thank you, Sister Ellen Moore. Brother Anthony. 
going to be better off and not allowing these sophisticated satellites to go over our land until we can control that technology and we know ourselves what's our did. What's your response to how to use technology to continue to exploit, take land of the folks, and to rule the world? Well, um, I, uh, I, 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 I agree with you, Brother Africa. I think, uh, I think we should have access to that technology. Uh, and the thing is, though, I mean, um, you know, uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, you know, a major problem with us having access to that technology is even when we help develop it, it is in the interest of other people that don't care about us. So we really have to uh, not only uh, learn this technology, but we have to do a better job of politically educating each other. And that can only be done through permanent uh, mass organization. We have to... um, You know, it's a right we have access to, but we have to demand it, and we can only demand it if we are organized. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, we see what the capitalists are doing. They're trying to increase their wealth. And, uh, and they'll do that as, as long as capitalism exists even at the expense of damaging planet Earth and uh, the human life that exists on it. So, uh, so we, uh, you know, this speaks more and more to the importance of defeating uh, capitalism in all of its manifestations. And uh, we have to get better organized. And uh, we have to, uh, uh, you know, control the technology that's used to develop our limited resources. And uh, now water isn't our only limited resource, but it is the most vital in terms of our right to life. So, uh, you know, uh, we have to, uh, you know, organize, uh, build, uh, uh, organize for socialism and build Pan-Africanism. Thank you, Brother Anthony and Brother Haki. You'll find the thoughts in terms of Brother Haki. When we talk about capitalism and privatization water, it's already in effect. When you travel to the airports, as they say, water is more precious than gold and oil. To get a bottle of water now out of many of these airports, you're paying 5 to $7 a bottle just for a bottle of water. Can you dig that? We also know that one of the reasons or justification for invading Libya, they realized Libya had a large fresh water reserve, one of the largest in that region. So in terms of the use of this technology, Brother Haki, how do we fight against that to ensure that um, 
we understand not only what we have when it comes to resources, but we also understand that um, whatever lies under these lands that we control, we can take full advantage of it based upon our own needs and interests. So a general response to that, to that phenomenon, Brother Hackey. Yeah, well, <clears throat> well, I think that, you know, essentially, Brother Africa, what you're talking about among capitalists is what they call the comparative advantage. So you have all these billionaires buying all, this, all, these, all these satellites, and, and so they can survey the planet so they know all the, all the gold deposits are, where the water reserves are, uh, where the bauxite is located. They know all of that, okay? So it puts them strategically in a position to, 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 to not only uh, survey that market, but in effect to, 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 to manipulate that market. And manipulate that market, of course, they set the prices in terms of, you know, who would have access to that resource. Uh, one of the things is that you know you know uh, you know having access to 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 that kind of research, that kind of technology, you know it's not an easy easy endeavor. I mean we're talking about research, you know, facilities, uh, funds, uh, you know uh, in terms of innovating this technology. Even once you innovate the technology, the problem is that you know uh, you're gonna have to fight in order to actually uh, utilize that technology. Because simply building a satellite does not entitle you, you know, doesn't entitle you to write to actually launch that satellite to survey the planet. Uh, there are all kinds of protocols you have to go through, particularly in terms of, you know, the Western world in terms of being able to actually do that. So the problem is that so the, so the problem is very very complicated. I think that one of the things that we can do, and just in terms of you know our capacity. So when, first and foremost, we have to be aware of what, what the world is going on, you know, with respect, you know, to the planet that we live on. I think once we become uh, knowledgeable in terms of what's going on to the planet, we have no other recourse but to fight for that which is that which is our, our self-interest. Now, of course, that's a very difficult thing to do, you know, particularly when you keep in mind that we, this, we're talking about a very powerful propaganda machine. So there's a natural explanation among people to place a higher premium on having fun that it is to deal with these, these 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 issues that are depressing, and if we don't change that paradox, if we don't change that 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 mindset, then we succumb to the to the powers of of of, 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 of Western propaganda, and therefore we don't even concern ourselves in terms of what's happening in terms of in terms of water, what's happening in terms of access, what what, is, what does it mean in terms of over reliance on oil, blah 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 blah. So we don't have any choice. We don't have any understanding in terms of precisely what's going on. So first and foremost, we have to educate ourselves in terms of, you know, what's going on. So when they launch these satellites, we have access to the information. So we know what we know. We may not know precisely what they're doing, but we have a general consensus in terms of what they're doing with those satellites, and we can just sort of uh, we can sort of extrapolate based upon the region of the world the satellites employ what they're looking for. Whether we're talking about a military application. Or we're talking about resource surveys. Uh, we can pretty much uh, extrapolate in terms of what those satellites are doing. But I think more important, but 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 to have said that, it's important that we understand what's going on, and we have to fight for it. Because when we talk about a comparison advantage for the capitalists, the opposition is very very clear. Nothing matters in this world but making money and power. That's all that matters. If you're dealing with a system inhabited by people with the mindset that nothing matters but money and power. Don't say for one second that you're going to appease that to their consciousness in terms of stop doing that which is destructive to planet and to humanity. It's not going to happen. They don't hear that. 
they don't hear that. Right now, they're busy trying to trying to 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 to, to colonize Mars, trying to colonize the Moon, trying to colonize any planet they can have access to. They understand that if you know these these capitalist policies are going to essentially bankrupt, it's going to destroy the planet. They know that, and so they're looking for their next project. And the problem for us is that we understand that all of us are not going to have access to outer space when, in fact, that tech, if in fact they find a planet that's suitable for human colonization. So we have to understand that this one, this planet right here is vital to our long-term interests. But we have to fight for it. There's no, there's no shortcuts to it. There's no shortcuts to it. Even if we don't own the technology, we don't have access to the technology, it really doesn't matter. If we understand what's going on, then we have to fight for it. It's very, very simple. And if we don't fight for it, then ultimately we pay the price. It's that simple. You know, it's, 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 it's not... It's, it's, it's nothing, there's nothing convoluted about it. It's very, very simple. So with or without the technology, you know, if in fact we understand that we have an obligation, you know, to humanity, we have an obligation to the planet, if we understand those things, then we have to work toward that end. And if we don't work toward that end, there's no one to blame but ourselves. And it's a very difficult challenge, as I said, because of the propaganda factor. But nonetheless, I think to answer your question about Africa it all boils down to one, our consciousness, two, our understanding what's going on in the world, and three, our willingness to engage those forces which are antithetical or in opposition, you know, to those things that are holistic, you know, in this creation. And I'll close with that. Now on that point, we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we have each of our panelists, the analysts, give us their final thoughts on today's program. Part two, U.S. wants to rule the world. This is Africa on the move. the Fruit of Labor Singing Ensemble from North Carolina. We are the cultural arm of worker and civil rights organization Black Workers for Justice. Um, We came in from Raleigh, North Carolina, from Jacksonville, North Carolina, from Durham, um, and we're here because we support and we are part of the labor movement, but also part of the environmental justice movement, too. We are with UE150, the North Carolina Public Service Workers Union, local of the United Electrical, Radio, and Machine Workers of America. In our communities, we fight on the job, but we also see the need to fight in our communities. There is no distance between the two. If we want justice on our jobs, we have to fight for justice in our communities. A lot of our communities face um, environmental hazards. Uh, Some of us come from communities that have super fun sites in the middle of them. Some of us are part of organizations, environmental organizations that fight against coal ash ponds, that fight, that are currently fighting against the um, Atlantic Coast Pipeline, which will come through predominantly of colors, communities of color, black and Native American communities. Um, so we're fighting against that. We're fighting against hog farms, uh, proliferation in North Carolina, and the dumping in our streams from being contaminated from hog farms. So we see the intersections between workers being poisoned on the job and workers being poisoned in our communities. We want to close with a song. 
So we wrote a song, Fruit of Labor wrote a song uh, about water contamination based upon struggles that were going on in North Carolina. So we're going to do a little bit of it right now. Okay. It's called Justice Flowing Down Like Water. Family drank from a deep clear well to the oxen moved underground. Now the only story left to tell is innocence lost in community action. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Little girl don't read so well, there's a lot that she'll never see. Some say it's the mercury in the fish of mama heat. Power plants causing you and me. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Clean water, clean water safe for all. That's it. <laughs> That was Pim Tiller from Fruits of Label, a group out of Raleigh, North Carolina. Welcome back to Africa on the Moon. We are now going to have final thoughts for tonight as we end this particular program on part two, U.S. Wants to Rule the World. Brother Moses, and we'd like to see his final thoughts for tonight. Brother Moses, the mic is yours. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. Um, it's been an interesting and uh, educational show. Um, certainly, we look to the to uh, forward to more more inspirational news and programming that in the class interest of the working class. And uh, I uh, I appreciate the, allowing me to be on the show and. Uh, and I, I hope that I've contributed a little bit to uh, the en- enlightenment of the of those who are who are still struggling to find unravel the maze, as they say. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Good night. And we thank you, Brother Moses, and good night to you. Next is Eleanor. Your final thoughts. Well, I just want to speak on the issue of water and hope we can continue this second part next week, Brother Africa. You know, former George W. H. Uh, former George H. W. Bush's family bought three hundred thousand acres of South American uh, uh, and the world's largest aqueduct, a Cuferro Garani. Uh, that's 298,000 plus acres to be exact by by uh, the Bush family. That was purchased in 2005 and 2006. And then uh, we saw that in 2006, while on a trip to Paraguay for the United Nations, the uh, for the children's group, UNESCO, Gina Bush, their the Bush granddaughter, the the daughter of former 
President George W. Bush and the granddaughter of former President uh, George H.W. Bush reportedly bought an additional 98,000 acres of land that's uh, in Paraguay, but is near what they call the Triple Frontier, which is where, uh, like in the United States, where there's four corners where you stand and you're in New Mexico, Arizona, Wyoming, and Colorado. Well, in this particular area, this frontier covers Bolivia, uh, uh, Brazil, and Paraguay. Now, this land is said to be uh, near the uh, the aqueduct, uh, the acreage purchased by her grandfather, George H.W. Bush. So they have um, purchased (laughs) in the early 20th century the world's largest aqueduct. So right now what we've learned and we're learning as we continue this discussion on water is that we may have common, we do have common allies as Africans with environmentalists because clean air and water is what all humans require and need. And we can emulate what the city of Baltimore has done, which has made it impossible to privatize water and public utilities. And we can do the same around the nation and around the world. Right now in Germany, they're taking actions to make sure that water remains a public utility. Everyone doesn't have to emulate uh, what the United States, uh, uh, Chile, and Australia are doing. And we also see that um, uh, right now, uh, this is really happening. And and uh if you can imagine uh one family owning uh an aqueduct that is under uh uh eight or, uh, or more countries that is unbelievable but if the people choose to privatize that water right now That'll make a big difference, and we need to continue this discussion because there are two ways that water is handled in this United States. And it says that if I own land and it's on a lake and I'm extracting some water from that lake and I publish it in the newspaper or underground, let's say I own land and water and it's underground on my worthless land, and I begin to extract that water, and I publish it in the newspaper that I'm extracting it, and I'm this is what I'm doing. I've taken away someone else's land rights without them even having an opportunity. So we can take legislative action to stop this. There are ways that, you know, as environmentalists, that we can fight uh, the capitalists. We see that Golden Sachs was beat out uh, in a water grab because this whole thing of water being a commodity is new to everyone's ears. So when Golden Sachs thought they were going to make uh, a purchase or the Rockefellers, uh, it didn't work out. Um, One of the world's largest banks, J.P. Morgan and Chase, 
has aggressively pursued water and, and infrastructure worldwide right now. But then what happened in 2007, it beat out um, rivals Morgan Stanley and Golden Sachs to buy the UK's water utility, Southern Water, with partners, um, a Swiss-based UPS and Australia Challenger uh, infrastructure fund. So there's a lot going on, and as, and if we take time to really dissect and educate the public to the information available concerning water rights, I think we could see that as an organizational tool and for our listeners to use it as an organizational tool in their community because certainly the residents of Flint, Michigan, had no idea that the Nestle water that they were purchasing, that Nestle had, was paying $200 annually to pump hundreds of thousands of gallons of water annually and sell it to the city of Flint, to the city of Flint at a dollar a bottle. So this is where environmentalists can unite with Africans, where water rights persons can organize with um, people opposed to oil pipelines because the new oil, the new gold rush is going to be water and clean air. And we see the super rich already trying to find ways of colonizing space. Well, we need to be busy reforming and protecting Mother Earth, making sure that we're not using any plastic bottles polluting the ocean. Because for those who use sea salt, they may need to have their sea salt tested for plastic parts. And for real people concerned with their health, they no longer use sea salt to eat. They want to use ground salt because they don't want to consume plastic. We not we have to think that what's it's not only what's good for humans, it's what's good for agriculture, what's good for animals, what's good for the planet. Because if one of us fail, all of us fail. So with that in mind, Brother Africa, I want to tell you this was a fantastic article, and I hope you continue the discussion of this article next week to a greater extent to let the public know who the players are in terms of uh, checking underground to see what's available in Africa because it appears the Bush family has already acquired the largest aqueduct in the world, and that's the one in South America that the world knows about. So it's, it's time, and it's time for Pan-Africanists to work with um, the 54 African countries and the African Union to retain the the public ownership of water on and below the ground as well as all other natural resources. With that in mind, thank you and good night. Thank you, Sister Eleanor, and good night to you. Brother Haki, your final thoughts for the night. You know, it's interesting, you know, capitalists talk about they oppose central planning. But you, but you look at the country, but you look at the Western world, and you look at the role billionaires play 
in terms of facilitating policy. And clearly, this whole notion in terms of being opposed to centralized planning is a farce. Because what's happening is that billionaires are centrally planning. Uh, you know, when you think about recently, they talk about you know trying to President Biden talked about the fact that he would like to reduce the uh, debt of students, uh, students who had to borrow to attend the university by ten thousand dollars. There's been a big, big uproar among billionaires whose position is that no, that is somehow counterproductive to the economy and that they can't do that. Those same billionaires didn't say anything at all when it comes to huge tax breaks for them. The most recent tax break of $1.7 billion that was, that was implemented by Congress for the benefit of, of billionaire class, they didn't say one iota, even though that $1.7 billion uh, tax break for the billionaires is going to detrimentally undermine the economy because it's not only going to increase the wealth, the disparity between the have and the have-nots, but it's going to simply undermine the function of the economy simply because you make more investments possible for fewer people at the expense of the masses of people, which does nothing in terms of the economy. So clearly, you know, uh, the centralized planning uh, is a facet of capitalism. And, of course, we, you know, as, 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 as working people, as poor people, we have to begin to understand, you know, that the reality is that, you know, there's a system in place which is, which is, which is in opposition to the very interests of the masses of folks or the majority of people in the society. And if that is the situation, the question is, what are we going to do? Uh, you know, one of the things I have no problem in terms of, you know, discourse, in terms of trying to meet with people, discuss people about some of the peculiarities in terms of policy. But the bottom line is that I think one of the things is that when we start talking about discourse and actually talking to people while trying to bring about change, the bottom line is that we can't dismiss opportunism that exists. You have optimism on the right. You have optimism on the left. Ultimately, presuppose that people on the right are not amenable to any kind of discussion. The same is true on the left, except they may not come out this just not as bold about it. But the, the implication is that when you look at it in terms of the actions, the kind of things that they do, the positions that they take, that clearly they support the status quo as it exists. So you have this problem. This you have this, un, this unusual paradox where not only you have people on the right who support this insane system, but you have people on the left who also support this insane system. Under that rubric, the question is, what do we do you know, as a people who are struggling for some semblance of humanity, some semblance of fairness in the society? Uh, for the African community, you know, these are tough questions, but nonetheless, these are questions we have to address. Uh, but having said that, Brother Africa, of course, I always encourage people to unravel the matrix I think that is key. I mean, as the society deconstructs, as the situation becomes more and more perilous for people, you know, as the the future of countless millions of people in society is in doubt, uh, we have to determine some plan of action in terms of going forward. Because if we don't have some plan of action in terms of going forward, the one thing we can be very, very clear on, the outcome is going to be devastating. So having said that, Brother Africa, you have a good night, and we'll see you next week. You do the same, Brother Hockey. Good night to you, and we thank you for your contributions to today's program. Next, we'll move to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, you'll find the thoughts for tonight, Brother Anthony. My final thought for tonight is that um, 
is that we have to uh, unite and organize with a common objective in mind. And in light of that, I want to uh, inform the listening audience that the All-African People's Revolutionary Party is organizing Kwame Nkrumah Day 2022 on September 18th, uh, the Sunday closest to Kwame Nkrumah's birthday. And our theme is Pan-Africanism must be the primary objective of African revolutionaries worldwide. And and, uh, we chose this theme because Pan-Africanism is the ultimate solution uh, to the problems Africans face throughout the world, including some of the problems we discussed tonight. So if you have time, please check it out. It's a Zoom webinar, and it starts at 12 noon, September 18th, 2022. You can find out more information by visiting our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org. Thank you for, uh, for having me on this program tonight. Uh, it's been very fruitful. Thank you. And Brother Anthony, just for some clarity, I thank you, Matt. The name of the organization is the All African People of the Party DC. I thank you, Mr. that distinction. Right. Okay. Thank you. Okay, on that note, to our brothers and sisters, friends, supporters, and allies, we thank you for allowing us to come home this evening. As we end part two, U.S. wants to rule the world. It's all right if that's what you want. You don't mean that's what you're going to get. Of course, whenever there oppression, there resistance, our history, our action shoulders on a daily basis. We know that the people will win, but they will only win when they are organized. So we would like to encourage all of those who listen to this program to Get organized if you want to make your proper contribution to your people, to Mother Africa, to humanity. The best way you can make it, and basically the only way you can make it, is through organization. So we'd like to encourage you to join the organization that's doing something to help liberate your people and humanity. If you are not doing this, then by your very act of inactivity, you are fighting against your people. You are the enemy to your people. So don't join the enemy side. Join the right side, the correct side, side of the people. So on that note, we look forward to seeing you next week, same time, same station. Remember, let's strive to go forward as a Baptist novel. And for those who plan on going on the Freedom Ride with the African Women Association, remember it has been rescheduled to January 23rd to 30th, 2023. Email the African Wellness Association at African Wellness Association 2 at gmail.com. So until next time, continue to travel down the road of liberation by inspiring you with some liberation music right now. This has been Brother Africa 
on Africa on the Moon. We'll see you next Sunday. Spread the word. Spread the word and join us. Again, we thank you for allowing us to come to your home. Welcome to Pilgrim And to the buffalo Who once ruled a plain Like the vultures Circling beneath the dark clouds Looking for the rain Looking for the rain Just like the city that Stagger on the coastline In a nation That just can't stand much more Like the forest Buried beneath the highway Never had a chance to grow Never had a chance to grow And now it's winter Winter in America Yes, and all of the hills Have been killed Sent away Yeah, but the people know The people know it's winter in America And ain't nobody fighting Cause nobody knows what to say Save your soul Lord knows from winter in America The Constitution A noble piece of paper with free society the struggle but they died in vain and now democracy is a ragtime on the corner a hope and false rain it's looking like he's a hope and hope and false rain and I see the robbers first in barren treetops Watching last ditch races Marching across the floor But just like the peace behind That vanished in our dreams Never had a chance to grow Never had a chance to grow And now it's winter in America and all of the hillers have been killed or betrayed yeah but the people know the people know it's winter Lord knows it's winter in America Nobody knows 
survival We must decide to get off the ride And stop going through these changes We must prepare and learn how to care For soon we'll be there While our lives won't be in danger And when the light is clear Oh, how beautiful I will be To know that I've been here And made it through my journey Yeah, and made it through my journey Yeah, 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 yeah. Made it through my journey Pellerino, a bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia, a scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip. Hear the cries and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin, turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people the love of my people shining like the sun everywhere we go everywhere we go when the light is clear oh how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey yeah, and made it through my journey. Yeah, 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 yeah.
attitude towards Africa. In San Francisco on African Liberation Day, Brother Walter Rodney, an African historian, noted both the importance of African Liberation Day in terms of our African identity and some of the root causes for our problem of identification. I have met brothers and sisters who say that their mother tongue, quote unquote, is French, Spanish, Dutch, Portuguese, as well as English, which we speak. And because of this, we have a problem of identification. We do not know whom we are. And that is why this gathering is of great symbolic importance, because it is an act of identification. We are saying that we identify with the African people of the African continent. We are saying that we are an African people. And when we make this identification, have no illusions about the fact that this is a very revolutionary initiative. It is a rejection of every other form of identification which the white society has asked us to accept. Let me draw your attention to something which white universities and white libraries practice. And this is a university community. Numerous universities lie around this land. Go into their libraries and check the Library of Congress cards on the Europe or Europeans. You will find all entries listed concerning the continent of Europe. You will also find entries listed about Europeans in East Africa, Europeans in North Africa, Europeans in Asia and Australia. Look under the Chinese, you will find entries listed not only for mainland China, but for Malaysia and for the Chinese in, in, the, in North America. But look under Africa and the Africans, the only entries under Africans relate to the continent itself. There are no entries under Africans overseas. There is no such category. Africans 
who have been raped from the continent mysteriously disappear and become Negroes. Science, engineering, medicine, religion, fine arts, and film.
architectural achievement which still baffles modern science. The 225th Emperor, 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 direct descent from Solomon and the Queen of Sheba, Sheba, Sheba. He is the King of Kings, the Lion of Judah, of Judah. The name Haile Selassie means power of the Trinity. Educate yourself of Africa to liberate yourself. Africa. To liberate yourself, Africa. 
If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Needs Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth, take a stand for justice. That's what we've got to do, cause Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Palestine,
niggas are scared of revolution. But niggas shouldn't be scared of revolution. Because revolution is nothing but change. And all niggas do is change. Niggas come in for murder and change.